Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about drug legalization and the opioid crisis. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. It is January the 4th, and on this day in 1965, in his State of the Union address, President Lyndon Baines Johnson laid out his, for Congress, a laundry list of legislative needed legislation needed to achieve his plan for a great society. On the heels of John F. Kennedy's tragic death, Americans had elected Johnson, his vice president, to the presidency by the largest popular vote in nation's history. Johnson used his mandate to push for improvements he believed would better Americans' quality of life. Following Johnson's lead, Congress enacted sweeping legislation in the areas of civil rights, health care, education, and environment. In 1965, State of the Union Address heralded the creation of uh, Medicare and Medicaid, Head Start, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and the White House Conference on Natural Beauty. Johnson also signed the National, National Foundation for Arts and Humanities Act, out of which emerged the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities. <clears throat> Through the Economic Opportunity Act, Johnson fought a war on poverty by implementing improvements to early childhood education and fair employment policies. He was also a strong advocate for conservation, proposing the creation of a green legacy through preserving natural areas, open spaces, shorelines, and building more urban parks. In addition, Johnson stepped up research and legislation regarding air and quality uh, water pollution uh, control measures. Under Kennedy, then-Vice President Johnson led the government's quest to develop American excellence in the sciences. As president, the ongoing uh, technology race with the Soviet Union spurred Johnson to continue the vigorous national program of space exploration begun by Kennedy. During Johnson's presidency, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, achieved the extraordinary and unprecedented accomplishment of orbiting a man around the moon. Though many of Johnson's programs remain in place today, his legacy of the Great Society has largely been overshadowed by his decision to involve greater numbers of Americans in the controversial Vietnam War. In my view, his actual legacy is bloated government bureaucracy and unfortunate dependency. Uh, We were better off before the Great Society. Well, uh, Tuesday, January 3rd, Governor Ron DeSantis was sworn in his second term in office using the Aiken Bible, reportedly on loan from conservative radio host uh, Glenn Beck. Beck personally owns the Aiken Bible, originally from uh, 1782, the same Bible used by the Founding Fathers in 1782 U.S. Congress. Freedom lives in our great sunshine state of Florida, DeSantis said in the opening. When the world lost its mind, when the common sense suddenly became a uncommon virtue, Florida was a refuge of sanity, a citadel of freedom for our fellow citizens and even for people around the world, he said. That, according to DeSantis, we chose to navigate the boisterous sea of liberty rather than cower in the calm docks of despotism. 
Great quote there. DeSantis talked about his previous achievements from the last four years. Florida is leading the nation, he said. DeSantis said uh, Florida is number one in new business formations, tourism, economic freedom, education freedom, and parental involvement in education. Despite the long list of achievements, DeSantis says Florida is far from done. Florida's accumulated uh, a record tax surplus, or budget surplus, so we need to enact record tax relief, particularly for Florida families who are grappling with inflation. He also called for expanding parental rights, limiting the power of partisan interest groups, and ensuring higher education focuses on pursuit of truth, not trendy ideologies. In closing, he declared, we will be on our guard. We will stand firm in faith. We will be courageous. We will be strong. And we thank God and are proud to be citizens of the great free state of Florida. God bless Ron DeSantis, uh, governor, for the second term. During the ceremony, the Florida's cabinet members were sworn in, including uh, Jean, Jeanette Nunez, uh, lieutenant governor, Attorney General Ashley Moody, Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas, and Commissioner of Agriculture Wilton Simpson. The governor and his cabinet members saw historic numbers in the 2022 November election successfully flipping traditionally Democrat-heavy or Democrat-leaning counties across Florida, in some cases by double-digit margins. DeSantis defeated gubernatorial candidate Charlie Chris by nearly 20 points. According to results, Moody and his and uh, the cabinet member who received the most Florida votes with around 60 percent. Patronus was reelected as chief financial officer after he beat out former Democrat State Representative Hattersley and Simpson defeated uh, Naomi Blamer in the uh, race for the, for the next Florida Agricultural Commissioner. He will be replacing Democrat Nikki Freed, previously the only state-elected Democrat. So uh, right now we're watching uh, the conundrum or the uh, food fight <laughs> and a dust-up in the House of Representatives. House conference met at 9.30 a.m. yesterday to hear McCarthy's final appeal. McCarthy needs 218 votes to become a speaker. Uh, Republicans will seat 222 uh, lawmakers, so McCarthy can leave only four GOP minds unchanged. The House of Representatives' leadership election went to a second ballot for the first time since 1923 after no candidate secured 218 votes. The House abruptly adjourned shortly before 5.30 after three failed attempts to elect a speaker. Our Representative Byron Donalds joined 19 Republicans to vote against House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy for Speaker Tuesday and the, the third failed vote of the day. Donalds voted for McCarthy in the first two rounds but said he flipped in the third round because the California congressman just doesn't have the votes. The reality is that Representative Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes, he tweeted. I committed my support to him publicly and for two votes on the House floor. 218 is the number and currently no one is there. Our conference needs to recess and huddle and find someone or work out the next steps. The uh, 20 uh, Republicans joined forces to vote for Jim Jordan. He'd be a terrific speaker who endorsed McCarthy for the speakership. The failed speaker votes were the first since 1923. These continuous votes are working, aren't working for anyone, Donald said. <clears throat> when the dust settles, we will have to have a Republican speaker. Now is the time for a conference to debate and come to a consensus. This will take time. Democracy is messy at times, but we will be ready to govern on behalf of the American people. Debate is healthy, said Byron's. Donalds, and I, I couldn't agree more. House Freedom Caucus Chairman uh, Scott Perry said Tuesday that uh, Kevin McCarthy declined his members' request ahead of vote uh, this afternoon to elect him as chamber speaker. 
In exchange for their support, House Freedom Caucus members asked McCarthy to hold votes on a balanced budget, the fair tax, Texas border plan, and term limits for members of Congress, but he refused, Perry said in a statement. Perry also said we requested transparent, accountable votes on individual earmarks that would require two-thirds support to pass and to ensure all amendments to cutting spending would be allowed floor consideration. He dismissed it. The Pennsylvania congressman also said the caucus demanded that he cease his efforts to defeat competitive conservative candidates in open Republican primaries, and he denied it. So Kevin McCarthy, his uh, negotiating abilities are nil. Uh, Here he had an opportunity to garner the votes, to negotiate, and to concede uh, an important part of the party. And these requests, I think, are very, very, uh, uh, very, uh, I think, uh, rational. But nevertheless, McCarthy failed. So if he can't come to terms with the members of his party, all members of his party, in the same tent, he's not going to be a Speaker of the House. He may as well just admit that right now. So uh, Buffalo safety uh, Damar Hamlin had his heartbeat restored on the field after suffering cardiac arrest during the team's game Monday night against the Bengals, and he's currently in critical condition at Cincinnati Hospital. The chilly scene midway through the opening quarter led the league to postpone the game about 90 minutes after kickoff. The NFL said in a statement Tuesday afternoon that the game will not be resumed this week and that no decisions have been made on regarding playing the remainder of, the, of a later game at a later date. CPR was administered to Hamlin, he's 24 years of age, on the field for multiple minutes after he collapsed following his tackle of a Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Hamlin received oxygen, according to the ESPN broadcast, and he was placed in an ambulance and taken to the, off the field 16 minutes after he collapsed. He was then driven to nearby University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Alex Berenson posted this on Telegram. The subtext to these tweets, and he's got several tweets, in which some cases are not even subtext but stated openly, was the vaccines did not cause what you saw. And if you ever consider that possibility, much less say it out loud, you are a ghoul. That according to Alex Berenson. Uh, Comotio Cordis, fine. Vaccine caused heart damage, not. I was stunned, he said Alex Berenson. I expected the mRNA vaccine advocates, a group that includes nearly the entire media, would try to grab the narrative around Hamlet's collapse pretty quickly. But before we knew whether he was still alive, of course, they felt they had no choice. Football, says Berenson, is the most important sport in the United States, a cultural economic driver like no other. An audience in a range of 20 million people saw Hamlin's collapse alive and uh, tens of millions more afterwards. Most people are only vaguely aware of the now-confirmed risk of mRNA vaccines and myocarditis in young men. Allowing open discussion of the issue is in this context would probably do more damage uh, confidence in the COVID vaccines than anything that has happened so far. Thus, commotio cordis, says Alex Berenson. In other words, uh, don't even bring up the fact that this might be a result of uh, the vaccine. Now, this quote from uh, Dr. McCulley says, I watched the play both live as a fan and a cardiologist, and I saw a blunt neck and chest trauma, a brief recovery after a tackle, and then a classic cardiac arrest. I've communicated to one of the most experienced trainers in the world that we agree that it was a cardiac arrest in the setting of a big spurge of uh, adrenaline. If Damar Hamlin indeed took one of COVID-19 vaccines, then subclinical vaccine-induced myocarditis must be considered in the differential diagnosis. That according to Dr. McCulloch, P. 
Peter McCulley, Chief Scientific Officer at the Wellness Institute. Foster Colson, uh, founder and CEO of the Wellness Company, said Damar Hamlin's vaccine status is absolutely relevant to any serious investigation in this strategy. Uh, American public deserves to know if the COVID vaccine played a contributing or even primary role in his cardiac arrest, and athletes across the globe deserve to know the truth so they can make informed decisions about how to proceed. For the last few years, big tech, uh, big media, and big uh, medical industrial complex have worked together to silence any questions about COVID treatments, protocols, or vaccines. The results of this have been devastating to the confidence in the doctor-patient relationships and cost countless lives, and it's time to start asking questions, and it's time to start telling the truth. Dr. McCulloch, by the way, claims 1,598 suffered people suffered uh, cardiac arrest since vaccinations started compared to 1,101 uh, suffering cardiac arrest in the previous 38 years. The recent paper from Dr. Polycretus and myself uh, get the sharp rise in athlete deaths. Uh, since vaccination, 1,598 athletes suffered cardiac arrest since vaccination. That's 2020. 1,101 of which were deadly outcomes on a, in the prior 38 years uh, 1,001 uh, athletes aged uh, 35 or less actually died. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's stunning. And uh, quite frankly, trying to suppress this story is wrong. We need to have truth in medicine and truth in reporting about this. And at least, I'm, I'm not suggesting that this was a result of a vaccine, but it may be, and uh, we need to understand that. Young athletes need to understand that. Parents siblings all need to understand exactly what's going on with these vaccines this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at johnson's air conditioning naples longest established air conditioning company i hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. 
The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property and free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, we talked, we started our conversation about uh, drug legalization. What did Prohibition tell us about today's drug war? Well, it started, of course, with the 18th Amendment. That was in January of, two, of uh, 1919, and it extended to the 21st Amendment when Prohibition was repealed, and that was f- 15 years later. Uh, didn't stop drinking, and it increased violent crime. The cost was estimated, adjusted for inflation, of about $500 million a year back then. Wow. Again, adjusted for inflation. By comparison, nowadays we're spending eight to ten billion dollars just at the federal level alone on drug enforcement. So it's quite a distinct <laughs> increase in cost. Uh, since that time, there've been more drug inmates um, in the in the prisons than all violent crimes combined. About fifty percent of our federal prison population, and fifty percent of property crimes in major cities are due to uh, drug problems. And because the drugs are illegal, the participants in the drug trade, they, they can't go to court to settle their disputes uh, between buyers and sellers or between rival sellers, and so they settle them the way you'd expect, and that is by force on the streets using um, deadly weapons. Uh, so crime and terrorism earns about $40 billion a year in the drug trade. Huh. Meanwhile, DEA has about 10,000 agents and analysts and support staff who could be fighting real crime or real uh, terrorism. And, and, and for the folks who were worried about gun crimes, drug legalization would be the single most effective means of reducing our inner-city uh, gang-related violence. We, we have uh, treatment for alcoholism. We treat it like a medical health problem. 
that's the way we ought to treat addiction. Um, we we ought to treat and not incarcerate. And like alcohol, uh, it should be legal to sell it to adults, not to minors. And of course, uh, illegal to do things like driving while you're intoxicated. Uh, but we have this weird uh, policy that uh, allows us to continue to distribute tobacco products that allegedly kill 400,000 people a year and and an outlaw at the federal level uh, marijuana that as far as we know doesn't kill anybody well you certainly make a great case for legalization of drugs and i mean there's other things too like uh for example making sure that that whatever's produced on the market is is clean and uh, free of pesticides and so forth what's the verdict in those states that's that have legalized marijuana well in uh 2010, we had about 900,000 U.S. arrests, uh, about 300,000 more than all other uh, violent crimes. We had one marijuana arrest uh, every 37 seconds. Wow. In Florida, uh, marijuana enforcement cost back then, this is a decade ago, uh, $229 million. Uh, There were 58,000 arrests. And that was 92% of all marijuana arrests and 41% of all drug arrests. Blacks were four times more likely than whites uh, to be uh, arrested for possession, despite the fact that they had comparable drug usage rates. So we did legalize uh, as a result of these horrible statistics. And the legalization first occurred in Colorado, Washington State, uh, Oregon and Alaska, and we saw little or no rise in drug use. We had possible declines. Uh, the data was uh, a little bit murky in cocaine and heroin use because people were allowed to smoke uh, marijuana and no impact on violent crime. So I, I would say the results were pretty darn good. So it's kind of interesting that we've, we've seen these uh, opioids uh, coming across uh, the border and uh, it's proven to be a crisis. Do you think we need uh, strict regulation for uh, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, the, the crisis, by the way, is not because doctors are goaded by the greedy, greedy drug companies and over-prescribe. Uh, less than a quarter of the people using opioids uh, for non-medical reasons have a prescription, less than a quarter. Mm-hmm. The rest of them get the, the stuff on the black market. As you say, a lot of it coming across the border. Uh, 13% of these overdose victims had chronic pain conditions. Just 1% of the chronic pain patients are actually addicted. So we're talking really about black market operations. The prescriptions for high-dose opioids are down about 40% since a decade ago. But the overdoses, of course, continue to climb mostly from fentanyl, and that pressures uh, these doctors, uh, we pressure the doctors to reduce the opioid prescriptions, uh, and that can have the unintended consequence of driving patients to the black market where mm-hmm. they get, uh, again, quality problems, laced opioids, laced heroin yeah. uh, that's cheaper and it's easier to obtain. And interestingly, the opioid crisis is less serious in those states that have legalized uh, marijuana. So interesting. So tell us about the uh, connect between drugs and our immigration problem. The cartels uh, 
uh, hide the drugs in cars and in trucks and buses and trains and underground tunnels. Um, and, of course, most of those come across at legal crossing points. Mm-hmm. There is some uh, smuggling that goes you know, by individuals who are crossing illegally, but as you can imagine, the bulk of the volume comes in cars, trucks, buses, trains, etc. And that's not a matter of illegal crossing points. Those are legal crossing points, even though the drugs themselves, of course, are illegal. Uh, the most effective remedy would be, would be to legalize uh, the drugs. That would in, reduce the enormous profit incentive that drives uh, the cartels. And as a bonus, we'd also be addressing this lawlessness that propels asylum seekers from uh, Central America, uh, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala primarily, to to seek to evade uh, the violence they have on their own streets um, that's mostly drug related mm-hmm. so our immigration system is quite clearly broken mm-hmm. uh, but connected with that the war on drugs has been an unmitigated disaster and we could resolve I think a good portion of the problems related to, uh, to drugs with the uh, legalization that should be a no-brainer yeah, you know, this seemed to be a very controversial topic uh, several years ago, a decade ago. Right now, I think it's gaining more and more traction as people realize uh, all the issues that you've just raised here in this discussion, uh, you know, certainly don't justify the amounts of money and uh, time and the incarceration that we have right now with because of uh, drug illegalization. So, Bob, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Remind your listeners to visit the website, Cato.org, C- Cato.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, uh, coming up, <clears throat> we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning to travel abroad, most health insurance plans don't cover international travel, and you can find out more. And get inexpensive insurance by going to internationalhealthplans.com, internationalhealthplans.com. Com. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Uh, usually start with some good news. Any good news for us? Well, it's sort of like a reverse story good news. I was watching 60 Minutes on Sunday, and Paul Ehrlich, who has been predicting doom for the human race ever since 1970 or approximately 1970, once again predicted the imminent doom, uh, the extinction of the human species, unless we change our ways. Now, the good news about that story, Bob, is he's been wrong every time, (laughs) and I have no doubts that he'll continue to be wrong. Yet 60 Minutes, which touts itself on only well-documented stories, has essentially propagated Paul Ehrlich's uh, wild-eyed op- wild uh, opinions on the nature of human extinction. So, um, but that's that's a good news story because he's always been wrong and he still is. Yeah, that is good news indeed. In fact, uh, I think he said that we need seven Earths in order to to five only five only five. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, that is good news. And, uh, you know, these Malthusians that think we need to limit... It's surprising how uh, 60 Minutes, which has a fairly reputable name, fairly, I would say, uh, would would somehow uh, focus on Paul Ehrlich with such a uh, an abysmal record of, of, uh, of predictions, and yet yet they did that. I don't know why they would want to uh, bring that type of view into the American public. I mean, there's enough downside stuff without making uh, extinction one of the issues on the table. You know, it's so interesting. I remember when Leslie Stahl was interviewing, uh, interviewing the President Trump, and she said, uh, you know, Mr. President, you can't believe that. Listen, this is 60 minutes. Do you realize who we are? Pride proceeded the fall. Interview, I think last night. Uh, a story that I just want to allude to. Oh, wait a minute. There's an interesting story in today's New York Times, which is that it's it's apparently great to be a short person. So, you know, being relatively short myself, not a midget, but relatively short, uh, I am pleased to see that we are a benefit to the planet because we, we don't take up as much resources uh, and we live longer. So, you know, you tall guys are going to have to just uh, get out of the way, Bob. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, I'm so interested in your point of view about what's happening with the uh, speaker uh, dust-up in the House of Representatives right now. Well, as I indicated to you off, uh, off air, I'm, I'm vacillating on this issue probably like few others that have, that have uh, been in, in our conversations over the past few years. Um, right now, I, my biggest concern is that in some strange uh, flow of activities that Hakeem Jeffries will emerge as the Speaker of the House. 
Uh, I'm not predicting that, certainly. I don't think it's likely, certainly. But I do think that there are situations that could be described where Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat, could emerge as the uh, as the Speaker of the House over a uh, majority Republican uh, House of Representatives. That would be the death knell of the of the Demo- of the Republican Party. How would that happen? It could happen by uh, some in the Freedom Caucus that to show their displeasure uh, with their, the pressure they're being put under might shift their votes to Jeffries. I don't predict that again. But it's one thing that could happen. Another is that they would vote present rather than voting for any candidate, which would effectively, since the it's only votes counted that matter, uh, could possibly give Hakeem Jeffries the, uh, the speakership. That would be uh, one of the, no, not one of the, it would be obviously the most significant negative outcome that might occur. Uh, I just listened to uh, Byron Donalds uh, on Fox. Uh, he is the 20th member of the McCarthy Resistance Group. I, I, as you know, I have a deep and abiding uh, respect for Byron Donalds. He's earned that over uh, the last 12 years of our relationship, and uh, I, I guess you feel about the same way. Yep. Uh, so when he moves into the group of uh, now 20, uh, I have to give that position certainly a, a lot more depth and significance than, than I might have prior to that. Uh, Byron's uh, position is essentially was that he does not believe that at this point McCarthy can get the votes. And if true, if there is a recalcitrance of anyone on that 20 group uh, to move towards McCarthy, uh, then the issue becomes how do we get a resolution of this? Now, last week you and I uh, had talked about, I, well, I guess I, I introduced the topic, uh, I predicted McCarthy would, get, would not get the speakership, and it would go to someone who is not widely ballyhooed right now as a potential, and that's Steve Scalise. Uh, I don't think it'll go to Jordan. Um, uh, I, I don't think he wants it enough, and I think he wants to be chair of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so I think that it will go to someone else. He will not go to Biggs. They will not uh, award the group of 20 with their candidate. Uh, so my prediction still at this point is going to be the same as it was last week. Uh, McCarthy will not get it. I think that it will eventually uh, go to uh, go to Scalise. I think the first vote we see, the fourth vote in total, coming out today at noon, will be the telltale clue as to what lies ahead. If the 20 moves up or moves down, I think that will determine the nature of what's happening. If the 20 moves up to 22, 23, or someplace in that area, I think it's the death knell for, for Kevin McCarthy's chances. If it moves down to 16, um, I think then we're talking about uh, McCarthy will hold uh, long enough to eventually get the, uh, to get the, the speakership. So uh, I guess if there's a prediction to be made, that, that is my prediction at this point. I have other comments about this, but uh, what, what are your feelings? Well, you, I, I, frankly, I think he's demonstrating, McCarthy, that uh, he doesn't have the leadership skills in order to pull together the caucus and, or, or the uh, votes in order to become elected speaker. He's got together with uh, the Freedom Caucus. Uh, they made demands, and uh, to, in order to this, if, if you do these things, we'll support you, and he refused every one of them. So, uh, I mean, that, if that's his negotiating pr- uh, position, we need to move on. We need to have a, a different candidate. We need somebody who can pull together uh, 222 uh, Republicans in the, in the House of Representatives. McCarthy needs to stand down, and we need to have a good candidate. Well, I mean, you're offering up several hypotheticals there, which, again, if they come to pass in that manner, Bob, then I think you're, you're right. I think it is the process of getting there. 
uh, and I, I just am somewhat concerned with the, uh, the Hakeem Jeffries potential. Not, uh, not frightened, but concerned. Uh, and so I, I don't want to see that happening. I also don't want to see any significant delays in, uh, in moving into the appropriate agendas that are necessary and have been committed to uh, by this incoming uh, 118th Congress. So I, I don't know if we get past McCarthy, if McCarthy uh, voluntarily steps down. I, I don't see a quick battle to determine who, in fact, will be the speaker. Yeah. I don't think there's any consensus view right now uh, that would move towards a predictable outcome, and that could extend this process. Uh, I don't know how long, but certainly uh, into the indefinite future at this point, Bob. Yeah, so in my opinion, it's, I think this is healthy and good for the Republican Party. We're finally having a debate on the floor of the House or, or a discussion. Uh, they, need to, they need to get behind closed doors and work this thing out. Then this is the way democracy should work. People have strong opinions. that They should work through the process and, and come to some sort of a consensus. So I'm all for everything that's going on right now. My Actually, per- if, I, if I was to push aside all of the considerations, <laughs> I would suggest that McCarthy has not been able to deliver the uh, successful agendas of the Republican Party in the past. I think he's been given his chance at it. To suggest he's failing now because of the 20 Freedom Caucus members that have moved against him uh, while he's gained the support of 200 other Republicans may be a bit of an overstatement. But I think his his past performance uh, in the the House um, and the general performance of the Republican Party, uh, Republican National Committee and McConnell in the Senate, I think warrants a change of leadership. So that comment is made. So, yes, I'm, I'm saying McCarthy should be out forgetting everything else. But it's the process of getting there and the time of getting there that is a, a deep concern, Bob. Yeah, I mean, he's deep state. He's, he's great at raising money. He does a lot of things quite well. He uh, literally stands for nothing. He is a, a politician with uh, no pr- principle uh, really behind him, in my view. And it's just to have him serve as Speaker of the House is a continuation of the deep state. It's uh, He's... Uh, the uh, House of Representatives, uh, Mitch McConnell, and uh, we need to make a change. You know, I, look, I I agree with the theory of what you're suggesting. Again, it's the it, it's the nasty process of getting there and the time involved that uh, that concerns me and the Jeffries potential. So I, I think we we probably belabored our points. We we agree. Uh, but I'm, I, I guess at this point I would suggest I'm more concerned with the, the process of accomplishing that and <clears throat> whether it could even be done. Uh, I think the most important thing this Congress can do uh, will be the investigatory process. I think that most legislative agendas of the Republicans in this 118th Congress will be thwarted either by the Senate or by the, by the President. So I think the investigatory process on Afghanistan, Excuse me, Bob. The origin of COVID, uh, the Hunter and Joe Biden stories, Mallorcas and the southern border, Garland and the DOJ, the January 6th process. I think those are where the this Congress will make their mark, and I think we have to get to it. I am not quite convinced that McCarthy will lead those investigatory processes in the way they should. So I'm agreeing uh, with you. And so uh, I have no problem with the general point of not having McCarthy. I do have a problem with the, with the process of getting there. Everyone seems to have dug in their, hills, uh, their heels so dramatically, and there is no consensus candidate on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Jordan or not, that waits to be seen. I do not think the 200 members are going to award the 20 
by giving Jim Jordan the the speakership. I don't think it'll be Jim Jordan. All right. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I have no place better to be. Okay, Andy. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University Wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, any other comments before we move on about what's happening in the uh, speaker uh, dust-up? Yeah, I, I would like to suggest that the issue essentially can be boiled down, in my estimation now, Bob, uh, to the depth of America's problems as they are seen. If the problems are seen as being um, uh, superficial and workable, things you can work through within normal politics, uh, then McCarthy may be a good candidate in that softer model. If we see the problems as more significant, as existential almost in their implication, then certainly McCarthy is not the appropriate wartime consigliere for America. Uh, we need somebody who is going to be a, a stronger, more focused person in terms of dealing uh, with the swamp. Uh, he has shown himself historically to not be that person. Uh, his conservative voting record is only uh, 59% aligned with the conservative uh, vote. Uh, so essentially we're not looking at somebody uh, who has a chance 
of seriously denting a seriously uh, downside America. So uh, certainly I think that McCarthy, uh, in that type of situation, is not the right person for this job. So, um, again, I'm back to vacillating. I know uh, when Donald Trump supported him that... uh, that seemed to be a plus on his side. Uh, uh, Trump is somewhat softening, obviously, in that in that support. So, uh, at the end of the day, I, I I just hope this is resolved in a manner that is uh, quick, that produces a speaker that is strong enough to fight the swamp of America, to deal with the um, investigatory issues that have to take place, and it's the only significant thing this Congress Congress will be able to do. So. Um, I just hope they, they, that wiser heads prevail uh, and somehow this can be worked out in a meaningful manner. Hopefully today. I'm not optimistic, but hopefully today. I, I don't think it'll happen today. It might happen next week. But uh, I, I agree with you 100%. I'll just raise this issue. Uh, when it comes to the debt ceiling, what's going to happen uh, going forward, where do you think McCarthy would come out as Speaker of the House? Well, I mean, look, he's obviously been a, a spending uh, advocate. He, he did come out significantly and strongly against the omnibus uh, uh, bill. I think that was a, a positive on his side. But again, at that point, he was campaigning for the speakership. So right. it, it's very hard to, uh, to determine the reality going forward with McCarthy uh, when he was basically in a campaign mode. Uh, for the past for the past year, perhaps. Yeah. So I, I we don't know where he's going to be in the future. Uh, these two hundred to give him give him that uh, support, considering his background record, uh, I think is is a faulty thing to have uh, be to be happening. Uh, on the other hand, it we have to get a resolution of this thing so we can get forward. Uh, I don't think it'll be McCarthy, and I don't think it'll be Jordan. All right. Thank you, Andy. So uh, one of the things I always look to you for is a, a comments on what's happening with uh, our country and culture. Uh, everything, politics and everything is downstream from culture. What are your thoughts at this point? Well, I, I have alluded to culture probably uh, dozens of times on your show over the past many years, Bob. Uh, but there is a lot of academic support, research academic support is the way I'm positioning this, uh, to show the characteristics of a culture that will promote and support a healthy society, a sound economic society, a sound society that serves the best interests uh, of its people. And this has been researched and documented. So this is not just some hypothetical offered by some sociologists, a well-documented set of characteristics. Just to give you some examples of this, and there are many, and I'm not going to hit them all, but just to give you a flavor of what this is about. Uh, For example, in the in the, progre- in the healthy society, culturally, uh, there are two views of competition, and in a healthy society, uh, it favors competition. Competition being uh, essential for the well-being of capitalism, for the well-being of, uh, of, of the uh, entrepreneurial process, uh, for the well-being of democracy. In the resistant societies, societies that, that don't go forward, competition is condemned as a form of aggression. So let's just take that one factor right now. Where does America stand on this issue of competition, a well-documented cultural issue? Obviously, competition is being suppressed, seen as a negative. Uh, children are given awards for, for showing up. Uh, the the issue of competition has been, as it's described in the in the in the research, is described as a form of aggression. So by that one one factor alone, we can see America on the downside of that cultural issue. Yeah. If we look at another one, Bob, the value of work uh, in the in the uh, society that is moving forward, 
the people that are most honored are people who actually work. Uh, in our society, for example, it's the intellectual, the artist, the politician, the religious leader, the military leader, those that have very little real work. Uh, when you talk about the Protestant Reformation, and particularly the Calvinist interpretation of it, it placed a high premium on the value of work. Uh, those religions and those societies that have valued real work have progressed. Those that have not, which explains to a large extent the poverty of Latin America and other third world areas, those areas have regressed. So the, the, pro, the, uh, the value of work is a major cultural aspect. Where does America stand on that, Bob? It stands on the low end of a scale. Right. Let me just give you one more. And again, there's this, as I say, there's, there's many, many of these issues. Uh, the issue becomes the issue of the lesser virtues. What are the lesser virtues? The lesser virtues uh, are um, politeness, uh, timeliness, um, the... the uh, the characteristics that we would associate with with being a uh, being tidy, being courtesy, uh, punctuality, for example, these lesser virtues are a, are a sign of the society that succeeds. Where are we with these lesser virtues? They have almost fallen into insignificance, yep. becoming. Uh, uh, in, uh, in unimportant subset issues in our world. Yet, by analysis, those lesser virtues are critical in determining the eventual outcome uh, the eventual outcome of your society bob uh, this discussion andy up, this uh, this discussion is so interesting andy i do want to continue we need to take another break can you stick around i will be here bob. all right we're going to have more here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They prepare your elected officials to win. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. By the way, I want to remind you that uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., uh, Lulabee's Diner serves a great dinner selection. And again, it's we went there the other night on Friday night. It was just absolutely fa- fabulous. So I hope you'll visit Lulabee's Diner for dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. I do want to make a comment with regard to competition. I think the effect of this current administration is that uh, they certainly favor big business, and uh, some of the policies they put in place are to diminish the competition for uh, startups and small businesses. They tend to support big businesses. I think a perfect way they'd like to see the outcome of this would be all big businesses and uh, no small businesses, who, by the way, who are the uh, job creators. The point being is it reduces competition. I think it helps make the point that you're making. Again, the competition is, is essential, as I indicated, as you're supporting, Bob. Uh, also, it, it has the, uh, the, the hint of something else, which is failure must be acknowledged. So if a business fails, it must not be allowed to persist. We have seen a countless number of businesses that really have no right to even be there uh, that are subsidized, and therefore their failures are are not even acknowledged. And So competition has the upside and the downside, but it's a positive downside. Failure must clear the field uh, of those organizations and those businesses or any organization uh, that has failed to deliver its intended service. Uh, So I think we are not doing that. We are... uh, artificially uh, jacking up a lot of organizations that should not be part of the model, Bob. Couldn't agree more. So I really appreciate this discussion around uh, aspects of culture that uh, help a culture either survive and thrive or fail. Do you have others? Uh, Let me just give you one more, and again, I keep repeating, but I just want your audience to know that this is not the entirety of a discussion. This is a a very extended discussion. Let me just reemphasize the well-researched documentation of what I'm saying. And and again, as I indicated to you off-air, this model has been laid against many countries and is almost, no, forget, it is absolute in terms of its uh, ability to predict the outcome of that society based on whether they're on the up or downside of these cultural points. L- let me just give you one more that I think uh, you'll, you'll agree with and your audience will probably immediately acknowledge. It is the source of the authority in a society. The society moving forward uh, puts its only authority in the supremacy of law. That's where it comes from. It is the the rational process of how a successful nation functions. When it puts its authority into the arbitrary hands of anything else, uh, the state or wherever that, that authority may be generated from, that nation is headed for failure. If we look at where we are right now and the general neglect of the Constitution or ignoring of the Constitution and the movement towards dictates, uh, from the federal government, I think we can obviously see that uh, that issue of authority has been removed from law, 
and, and put into the arbitrary hands of, of individual power sources, Bob. No, I couldn't agree more, Andy. And in fact, that, that's why I think it's so important to have these hearings in the House of Representatives to, ha- to create accountability for what's been done up to this point with regard to immigration, with regard to Hunter Biden and the laptop. You could go through the list, but there's so many things where... Uh, this administration has gravitated away from the rule of law and more towards diktats from the President of the United States. Uh, we need to, to, number one, assure the public that, in fact, the rule of law stands and there are consequences for illegal behavior. I mean, that, it has to be that way. That's obviously been ignored, uh, except, of course, uh, when justice has been, and I use the term advisedly, focused only on Republican uh, minor offenses while ignoring dramatic illegalities and, uh, and moral corruptions on the left. So a uh, law of that type is not law. Justice of that type is not justice. But that's where America stands. Probably of all the points that I've made, at least in this discussion, Bob, uh, this is the one that most typifies modern America and is most representative of an America on the downside of, of the future. So um, but that, that discussion is, is worthy of, 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 of greater depth. Uh, and as I indicated to you, I think I'm going to write an essay on this so I can uh, perhaps make it clearer or more, uh, more lengthy for your, for your audience, Bob. Well, you certainly, let's just summarize, if you can, uh, the, the points that you've made. Uh, before we started off with competition. And what are the others? Uh, well, I mentioned just now the issue of authority. Uh, I mentioned the issue of the lesser virtues, which are, it seems to be insignificant, but when we talk about the, the basic uh, issues of a job well done, tidiness, courtesy, yeah. punctuality, we can see those things are being, uh, are being rejected right now as we, as we speak. Those are, those are consciously being rejected uh, in our society. Uh, we can talk about the views of competition. I think you alluded to that. The value of work, I think I also alluded to, uh, that work has value unto itself. Uh, it is a good thing. It is not something to be rejected. It is not something to be seen as the, the burden of a person's life. Uh, in many ways, it is the defining element of, of who they are. Uh, it should have a power in the equation that it is not having. And I referred to uh, the, the Calvinist interpretation of, of work. Yeah. And its significance, the work ethic, as the important ingredient in moving a society forward. And we can almost attribute that factor alone to the success, economic success of the West, the Calvinist movement towards the value and enshrining the work ethic, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to the list, of course, good parenting and, and the strength of the family. Uh, that in and of itself. And I think a lot of the mo- movement that we're seeing, the woke movement, has to do with an effort to destroy some of the principles that we've talked about, including uh, the American family. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. It's been very interesting. i got to remind our listeners, the name of your book is Josephus of Oz. I hope you check it out. It's off-topic for today's discussion but really, really interesting. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for your comment, Bob. See you later. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. Uh, tomorrow we have some great guests, including Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute, Seton Motley, the founder of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends. That's one of the ways we spread the word, support our advertisers. And uh, I just hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.